Welcome to the Andy Staples Show post-game edition, and what a what a day of games it was. Ari and I are coming to you right after the Ohio State-Penn State game has finished up. Uh, Utah currently throttling UCLA at about halftime. They're, they're winning 28-10. Uh, we had two undefeated teams go down today. Now, we, we knew one would because Michigan and Michigan State were playing, and Michigan State with a, with a big win against Michigan, which, I mean... It, for most of the game, it didn't feel like it could happen, but they kept kept chopping. And then SMU goes down at Houston. So it's going to be really interesting. The college football playoff committee having their first meeting. They're probably sitting there in Grapevine, Texas, watching those games. Ari, I don't know what they're going to do because I tried to do a top four. Mine sucks. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's going to be a struggle, and I think what I think the top four teams are and what they're going to be are going to be different, and the hardest part about this, Andy, is deciphering the difference between who is most deserving and who in our hearts we think are the four best teams in college football, and in my opinion, those things are very, very different, and also, once you get through pass number one, which is clearly Georgia on everybody's list you could make a case for five other teams to be number two. Oh, I, I could make a case for six other teams to be number two i have a top seven that i will read and everybody will get mad about it but i i don't i don't know how to separate two through seven well, i don't, don't know just, what order to put them in why don't we just share ours first and then we'll talk about it okay all right so ari you go ahead with your how many I did how six. many top whatever I did six in a row okay so you did six I, mean, right. I don't know how dramatic you want to be we can go one by one or we can do them all at once I want you to start with one because that's the okay. one that's not a surprise okay my number yeah, we can do it like the actual playoff show reveal number one and then start from six okay <laughs> okay my number go one is my number one's Georgia Clearly okay. the best team in college football. Uh, what they're doing to teams, I can't remember watching at any point. And I know there's recency bias, and that's real. But the way Georgia plays the game, it's almost just demoralizing for whoever they're playing. And it's a beautiful brand of I mean, they annihilated Florida today. Yeah. Florida, Florida's lost four games, but Florida's not a terrible team. They just annihilated them. Georgia makes everybody look helpless, even very talented opposing teams. And I'm very excited to see them play Alabama and what that'll look like, or once they start playing some teams with high-powered offenses and you know that are functional. Because even Florida, even though they have a lot of talent on their roster, I don't know if their offensive game plan or strategy is functional. You know, and, and make changing roster quarterbacks and you know trying to get through it. It's just you know it's just not like playing Alabama. But I feel bad for the opponents that are playing Georgia. I do too. It, it, it they because there these are some good like. When Arkansas played them, they made Arkansas look inept. Completely inept. And Arkansas inept. has been quite apt against everybody else they've played. And, and what I think so. is kind of funny too, Andy, is, is that like in a world where right now these college football playoff debates are going to be off the craziness uh, that we've seen very few of in the past few years, I think it's possible that we might just argue our way to the top four, get to the top four, and then Georgia just wins the national championship. Maybe. But I, I will argue that the, the the discussion we're having right now 
the issues we're having putting the teams in order, this is a good thing. Because normally, well, I say normally, but in, in the last few years, it has felt like there's been separation at this point. I, other than one to two, I don't feel a ton of separation. So, how do you do? You want to go with your number six now? Okay. Um, yeah, my number six is Oklahoma. Okay. Um, and the reason why, and like this is really hard too, because you know you try to put yourself in in the position of the committee where you're weighing losses and and whatever. But Oklahoma to me has looked fractured all year, and I know that Caleb Williams is the savior. And if they go undefeated and win the Big 12, there's absolutely no chance that they don't make the playoff. But in my mind, I'm not necessarily sure that I believe that they're actually one of the four best teams in college football, even if they haven't lost yet. So, like, I struggled with the idea of no losses and what you feel. So, you know, and then that actually might be a little bit inconsistent with what I feel in my own bracket. Because my number five, I'll just go through my list. My number five is Ohio State. Um, I think they might be the second best team or the third best team in college football in my heart. Um, And I'm leaving them out of the playoff discussion until they beat Michigan state and continue on with what they have ahead because they rattled through a bunch of crappy teams. They struggled mightily, couldn't score touchdowns in the red zone against Penn state. Even though I think Penn state does a very good job of playing Ohio state tough. I think I even told you they'll win by 10 after this slosh fest and they won by nine. You know, I, I yes. told you in the second quarter, it's the same game every year. And, and James Franklin deserves a hell of a lot of credit. And I think he's worth his money at Penn State just because he plays Ohio State the way that he does. But I'm putting Ohio State out of the top five because they've lost. And they also right. uh, didn't look great against the first good team they've played or, or quasi good team they've played. since. They, they also have an opportunity to beat a currently undefeated team and a Michigan team that may only have one loss when they play. Yes. So all of that can come out in the wash. Who's right. your number four? So my number four is Michigan State. And this is okay. where I'm inconsistent, and I can just admit it because it's just hard. But I think Ohio State and Oklahoma are better than Michigan State. But Michigan State okay. has earned it. Uh, beating a, a Coming back from a 30-14 to 14 deficit at home, uh, having one of the most electrifying players in college football score five touchdowns on your home field, um, controlling your own destiny in the Big Ten, and also historically being a team that's given Ohio State trouble – uh, when things are going well, I think they earn the benefit of the doubt to at least begin in the top four as an unbeaten okay. team with a pretty solid resume. My number three is Cincinnati. Number three. Okay. And Cincinnati to me is they've done everything that they can do possible in order to put themselves in a position where a group of five teams actually going to get in. And in a year like this, this is when uh, they can do it. And Notre Dame beating North Carolina by 10. I, I told myself that what Notre Dame does, and this is going to be the way the committee thinks, I'm assuming, too, because yep. Cincinnati is very anchored by the quality of win that is. Notre Dame being a pretty good North Carolina team um, by 10 helps buoy their resume. Now, I find this very interesting because you, you, you're talking about Cincinnati's best win, a great win on the road that isn't as good as somebody else's win on the road, and I don't think that somebody else is your number two. Yeah. And I know. And like, that's the thing. Like Oregon is what you're referring to. Right. And unless your number two is Oregon and no, if your my number, number two, two is, is Oregon, Alabama. that means you're leaving somebody else out. <laughs> my number two is Alabama. And like, you could just like throw a rock at my top six and it just comes crumbling down. And like, I'll sit here right now and admit it. But like Oregon to me 
is the clear number seven best team in my heart when we're looking at this. And okay, I know that might not well, let make me sense. ask you a question then, Ari. Why did they bother playing a game in Columbus on September 11th? Why didn't they just simulate it on a computer? The same reason why they play the Texas A&M Bama game. I mean, teams lose to teams that are worse than all the time. Okay, but Texas A&M has two losses. They, they're they're not the same. No, in I terms know, of I know. But comparison. in college football, like it or not, good teams lose to worse teams all the time. And I get that Oregon mm-hmm. at this at this point um, has the head to head win against Ohio State. And frankly speaking, if Oregon does what we bet on and goes undefeated for the rest of the year and finishes the season as a one-loss Pac-12 champion with a win over Ohio State, and it comes down to Ohio State, who's a one-loss Big Ten champion, I would have no problem putting Oregon in. So, like, the, the good news is about these rankings is that it's the first it's the first one. So you're, you're going to be like the committee in 2014, which ignored Baylor beating TCU head-to-head for the first few weeks, and then in the last week, they remembered, oh, yeah, Baylor beat TCU, so we should have them ahead of TCU. Because everything's with context. I mean, you do the best that you can in the moment with the information that you have. And as you get more context, you're like this thing in America that I don't understand is if you say something or feel something one day, and then you get more information three weeks later, it's like you're banned from changing your mind. You know what I mean? And I'm absolutely in a position where I can change my mind about Oregon. And what they did against Ohio State, I think that everybody who watched the game knows that the Ohio State team that exists today is not the Ohio State team that they beat. And I think that the committee takes that into account. I take that into account. Yeah, the Ohio State team that exists today is is the one that got pushed by a team that lost at home last week to Illinois. Yeah, no, I know. But like, what do you think the spread would be if Oregon and Ohio State played again tomorrow? It'd probably be like oh, I think Ohio 16, be 17. But the game happened. They played in Oregon. They did, one, yeah. So. No, I know. And, you could, and like, I'm very curious. And listen, I don't feel strongly enough. Like, if you wanted to say swap Oregon and put them five and drop Ohio State and Oklahoma down a spot, like, I wouldn't lose sleep over that. I could get on board with that. We'll be right back after these words. Okay, let's go to mine. And that is why mine is a top seven and not a top six. But it is just as weakly constructed as yours beyond number one like because i don't think there's anybody who can do this list almost any way is anybody who does this list able to get a top seven with no inconsistencies no absolutely not and again this is a great conversation this conversation means that there are more teams really in the mix that have a legitimate chance of making the playoff this year than there have been in previous years this is good this is great to hear I don't know. I'm not sure if there's anybody beyond this seven that has a chance. Maybe there is. Maybe there's somebody down a little bit further. But I'm excited that that we're having this conversation, and it's not just we're already down to five. Because right now, I'm confident in my number one, and I could rearrange two through seven any way you want to. So I'm with. I'll you. start now. I've got Georgia number one. I have Oklahoma number seven for the same reasons you have Oklahoma number six. I get big 2014 Florida State vibes off that team. And I just feel like at some point they're going to trip up, but they're still winning. So I, I, I will give them the benefit of the doubt. And the thing is, if they keep winning, and especially if they win more impressively, then I, I feel no, I have no qualms about just moving them up. So I'm good with that. Number six, Ohio State. 
This one shook my confidence in Ohio State, this Penn State game. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you not be – how can you not run against a team that Illinois ran all over last week? Like, until that Travion Henderson big run down the sideline, they couldn't move the ball at all on the ground. They were awful in the red zone. Like, there's a lot of red flags with this team that I was just ignoring that that really we all should have – and we talked about them after the Oregon game, but then we just forgot them because they were blowing out, you know – the Big Ten's cannon fodder. Well, can I can I but just interject on something here? Cannon fodder. What's that? I'm going to interject on something here. And listen, everybody knows my history covering Ohio State, and maybe that clouds the way I view things at times. But last year, when Ohio State went to the playoff and played for a national championship, they struggled at home. I think were they on the road last year? They're on the road last year. They beat. Penn State by 13 and it was the only game they struggled in and I know that that was a weird year but they struggled against Northwestern for part of the championship yeah but if you go back and the year before in 2019 which was one of the best Ohio State teams I've ever seen they beat Penn State 28-17 I think if you keep going back in 2018 they won 27-26 this not as good as those I'm just saying historically speaking no coach in college football has been able to muddle a game and make things so ugly for Ohio State every single time they play. Okay, but and Penn here, State and did here's that. the thing Again, about all of this. They do it every year. Ohio State still has Michigan State and still has Michigan on the schedule. If they beat those teams, and I'm not even saying if they beat those teams handily, if they beat those teams, they will be in the top four. They will make the playoff, period. Yeah, I mean, they probably will. I'm very curious. Regardless if of where anybody to- has them right now. They will make the playoff if they beat those teams. Because they'll start getting, they'll get the credit for beating a top five team in Michigan State when and if that happens. But my point is, is that even though this game was ugly and Ohio State had six red zone trips and had one touchdown and, you know, it was what it was, it literally is the same game every single year. And I don't know that it's an indication that Ohio State's not very good. I think that James Franklin and Penn State deserves a lot of credit for consistently playing that game tough. And they've played them tough in years where Ohio State had generationally good teams. So when I watch that game, if you're an Ohio State fan, I can see how frustrating that is. And if you're the rest of the country, you might say, hey, look, Ohio State sucks. They're playing a pretty good team for the first time, and they can't run the ball. And it's just like anybody who watched that game saw like nine penalties before the snap. Like they were playing on sand. They went to the red zone. They had miscommunications. They they didn't play their best game. And, you know, frankly speaking, I don't think that this is an indication that they're not a very good football team. Now they might be flawed, you know, but I think well, that everybody else is. I didn't say they too. weren't good. I said yeah. I said they were flawed. And yeah, well, they definitely are flawed. Is that that's what a, we're doing is parsing these teams' flaws. But but here's my thing. So I've got Oregon at number five. If we're gonna prop Cincinnati up with one one win on the road then we can damn sure prop Oregon up with one better win on the road. Yeah, that's true. Who do you think would win if they played? Uh, toss up. I think it's a pick em. Yeah, and it's funny because I use that I, as a rationale when Oregon beat Ohio State. If Cincinnati State, so and Ohio State played, I think Cincinnati could could beat them on the right day. I like, think if you watch Ohio State Ohio play State would be favored, week. but Cincinnati could beat them given the right circumstances. Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia are the only three teams, in my opinion, in this discussion that can beat all the other ones. I would agree with that. I would so, agree with that. you know, so, like, well, whether they will and whether they'll make the playoff. Listen, Ohio State lost the benefit of the doubt. You lose to Oregon at yeah. home without their best player, 
if you put yourself in a position where you're going to be compared directly to Oregon at the end of this whole thing, and Oregon has a similar resume and one head-to-head, then Ohio State doesn't get to go. That's the way this works. If you lose the one game you can't lose, you don't go. Right. But it's, as it's, we sit here it's now. It's 2015 Ohio State thing, where 2015 Ohio State might have been the best team in the country, did not make the playoff because they lost to Michigan State. The only so, team on their schedule they couldn't have lost to. Right. So number four, I've got Alabama. And I, I put them there for the same reason you put them number two. I think they'd beat these other teams. That's it. Yeah. They don't have they, they, their best win is Ole Miss, and it was a, it was a very nice win. But but do you see what you're doing the, too? You're doing the same thing that I did, where you're Basically, creating a list, and it makes sense based on what you're thinking. But like, here's the thing: on, on some rankings, we use criteria and resume, and then on other rankings, we use gut feeling and and, and thought yeah. of what we feel. And, you know, I think the number one thing with the committee that is frustrating for fans and even frustrating for reporters is that when they put together their top fours, the criteria seems to change for all the teams that are involved. And that's what we're doing here because the, it's an impossible. The, the difference is we'll admit it. We're sitting here admitting that we're giving we're, we're judging teams differently. But the because fact like, of the matter would, how would you is, rank them if it was just resume. If it was just resume, I would have Alabama behind Oregon and and maybe Ohio State. Yeah, but I just don't even know how you would. So it's like in your mind, if you're just ranking them, then Georgia then Georgia would be one, and Oregon would be two because they've got the best win out of everybody in the country. This is true. They have the best one win, and then the, but they also have one of the worst losses win. too. I mean, Cincinnati's got a really good win. Michigan State now has a really good win. So all right, so I've got. I'll just run through the rest of mine so I can we we can keep moving on this but i have cincinnati at three i have michigan state at two and obviously georgia at one so that's that's where i'm at okay so let's just say what we think now is going to happen because that's different i think people might be more interested in that what i think is going to be the ranking what i think the rankings are going to be on tuesday number one georgia number two alabama number three ohio state number four oklahoma Number five, Cincinnati. Number six, Oregon. And number seven, Michigan State. I think that sounds about right. And again, my two through seven, I could reorder any way. You could you could make an argument to have me reorder that in any way, and I'd be like, sure. Okay, sounds good to me. I don't envy the committee having to do this. Now, the good news is, for all of this, the Big Ten East teams are going to play each other. That's going to work itself out. Alabama is going to have to play the rest of its schedule, which includes, at this point, Arkansas and Auburn. The Auburn one's really interesting, I think, because I thought Auburn looked really good against Ole Miss on Saturday night. And I know Matt Corral hurt his ankle, but this was, look, Auburn's tough. Auburn's a tough place to play. They could be a better team now than they were tonight, or they could be a better team at the end of the season than they were tonight. Like they could beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl, and we're not even having this discussion. Auburn's still got to play Texas A and M, by the way. So that that could be a just a fascinating situation going forward with Alabama. And then Alabama, of course, is going to have to play Georgia if they make the SEC championship game. Georgia, we know, will be in the SEC championship game because thanks to Mississippi State's win against Kentucky, Georgia has now clinched the East. My head is spinning. It's it's a good problem. 
it is a good problem to have that that all of these teams are in the mix because we just we needed more more new blood and, and more blood period so the fact that Oregon's got or, or excuse me the fact that Oklahoma feels like it's got a little work to do that's fine like that's great it's like funny because if you rank them by resume the rankings different if you rank them by who you think is most deserving that's different because resume and deserving because you have to also take into account losses. And I think what's happened in the college football playoff rankings is that losses get dismissed because valuable wins are worth more in the in the eyes of the committee than bad losses or right. even losses in general. So it's just like that's they, the they reason don't why like, they, they don't like bad losses, like really, really bad they don't like losses. blowout losses or bad losses. Yeah, but they but they do. You're right. Good wins are more important to them than anything else. Because it's like Alabama. What I mean, they don't have the greatest resume. They got no beaten pretty handily by Texas A and M. Uh, Texas A and M took that game beat, from them. They were handily. The game with no, like no, no. But what I mean is that force. It wasn't like it was a weird loss where things weren't going well. Like they just got straight up beaten. You know what I mean? Like if they the committee did. can go back and yeah. watch the Ohio State Oregon game and say it, w- it wasn't this was weird. This was kind of weird. Uh, Ohio State was discombobulated. This the best player on their team wasn't a big factor yet. You know, like you, you but like with the wait, Alabama and saying Ohio, wait, the, the committee can say the Oregon, Ohio, Oregon I think beat the, Ohio state without its best player. No, and, I know, but I think the committee handily. could, the committee could, and will say that the Ohio state team that lost that game is not what they are today. They will. You watch you it. Say it's the same thing about Alabama if they want to. Yeah, I know. But like the Alabama loss, do you see the distinction I'm making though? Like the Alabama loss. No, was, I, there's no distinction. <laughs> no, I they think both that like, lost. Like A and M beat Alabama when Alabama was like at its best. You know what I mean? Absolutely not. That's not Alabama at its best. I don't. That think, was Alabama at its best in College Station. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'm explaining this. I, the no, way. I don't know what you mean because you're 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 excusing Ohio State's loss, but not excusing Alabama's loss in the same way. I'm not excusing either. Anything. Excuse them both, or just admit that they both got beat. I'm not excusing anything. Plain and simple, like Ohio State may get left out, and rightfully so if they do for losing. But when you watch the way that Ohio State lost that game early on in the season, and you see the way that A and M won the Alabama game, there was a clear difference in feel of the way that those games were going. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. We'll see how it well, goes. You I, I know, do know that. Agree I do me. know that one team actually had a chance to win at the end, and that was Alabama. Ohio State never really had a chance to win that game. Well, they had the ball down seven, and they threw a pick. With yeah, Alabama took the lead, came back and took the lead. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm just wrong. I'm not excusing know. it. Yeah. I just think you should view Alabama's loss to A and M and Ohio State's loss to Oregon the same. They yeah. they lost. Yeah. Maybe that's right. So. There, there's no excuse for it. They should not have lost. Neither one of those teams should have lost that game. But they did. So here's the other thing. The way Ohio State played against Penn State, and you may be right. It, it may just be a Penn State thing. But I, I, I look at the Oregon game and the Penn State game, and I go, you know what? I'm not entirely sure they can beat Michigan State. Maybe they do. And, and I'm going to have to eat some crow because – 
I was the one teasing Michigan State fans who were like, oh, it's time to, we're, where, where are we going to be in the playoff? And I'm like, what, do they they erase the Ohio State game from your schedule? You're not going to the playoff. But like, you believe in your I'm heart not, that I mean, Ohio State might lose to Michigan State? They might. Well, you can make a lot of money because that spread's going to be like 17 points. Okay. Like, that's like, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm like a spread person. What was the spread on the 2015 Ohio State Michigan State game? You know, I don't recall, but I think it was like seven. Okay. Who won the game? Yeah, and Michigan State won with their back. But I'm not saying that they can't lose. Ohio State was a lot better yeah. than Michigan State that year. This isn't Ohio State, Michigan. That's a different scenario. For whatever reason, they get more up for that. For whatever, so, yeah. Yeah, Ohio State gets Michigan State at home. So, but yeah, the thing about this is with the Big Ten is that it'll we we'll get the opportunity of parsing through a lot of this. Whereas the Big Twelve right. and Cincinnati, like if you think Michigan State is going to win, and I don't think that's possible, it doesn't matter what we think because we're going to get the result. Right? Because they're going to play happens, the game, and we'll know what happens. Whatever happens, happens. Right. Exactly. And let me ask you another and, thing and about the, same, the Big Ten. And I feel like Alabama has enough good opponents left that it's the same thing. Like if Alabama finishes the season twelve, if Alabama is twelve and one, they're the SEC champ. They've beaten Georgia. They are in. There is no question about that. And if Alabama loses another game, they're out. So we don't have to worry. We, yeah. we can yell about it. People can complain about it. It doesn't really matter where Alabama is ranked because they will either go 12-1 and and be in or they will be either 10-2 and regular season because they lost the Iron Bowl and not even make the SEC championship game or they will be you know, 11-2 and after losing to Georgia in the SEC championship game, and they'll be out. Let me hit you with another curveball here. Well, we're on the Big Ten East, and we're saying that anything can happen on the field, and it will. Michigan miraculously wins out. They're in, right? Oh, yeah. So they're they're in the top ten still, in your mind. That's fine. I, I, I I don't have an argument. Look. If we both think Michigan State is as high as we've ranked them, Michigan was four points away from them on the road and statistically dominated the game. Yeah, I'm not with you on Michigan State, though. I have Michigan State based on resume and deserving. I don't believe in my heart that they're a top seven team nationally. No, I don't don't necessarily either. But listen, Ari, you and I watched that that game today. We we actually did the live watch, the Staples That was really fun, by the way. It was, and we're going to do it for some other big games as, as we go through the season. But, and, and again, this is not analytical by any means. It is just me watching that team commit a couple bad turnovers, go down, find a way to claw back, go down again, have trouble getting a stop over and over and over again, and still find a way to win. Still score when you need to score and find a way to win against an opponent that was pretty good. I also think, too, that having a really good, outstanding offensive skill weapon makes you more sexy. Like, yeah, Kenneth Kenneth Walker Walker is Jalen Naylor injury. Jalen Naylor's in a cast at the end of the game. I I do worry about that because he's obviously a great big play threat. You know, he's. He's one you always have to worry about when he's on the field because he can take you deep pretty much every time. That that was 
that you know that doesn't bode well for the for the future. But Kenneth Walker looked unstoppable at the end of that game. Yeah, and I actually had a like have a pit in my stomach about Michigan because Buddy, I, like they should have won that game. Like they they played really. In well. my opinion, now, they played really well. You you weren't on when the call came down the the did he fumble or was he down call i thought he fumbled i thought he was laying on top of the of the the tackler when he lost when thorn lost the ball uh everybody else on the recovery? was down he was down the recovery before halftime in the end zone yes yeah so i you know i thought this touchdown that's a four was, point swing that's that's your game i'm actually surprised that they overturned it because the call on the field was a touchdown wasn't it Colin Field was a touchdown, and you know it. It really, if you if you if you think his shin was down, then great. You you agree with with what they ended up deciding. I just I couldn't see that. It, it looked to me like his whole body basically was laying on top of the guy who tackled him. Yeah, and then he, he ball gets jarred out, and Hutchinson grabs it, and it's a touchdown. So that's that's the only thing that I would quibble with. But that said, look, there are calls every game that go against both teams, Michigan state showed a lot of resiliency winning that game. Because it's hard to be there the were a bunch guy. of times they could, we, we kept you and I kept saying like every time they get the ball, like, well, they got to score here. Or it's over. And then they do it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. It's just, it's really hard to be the ref guy. Because ref, I mean, it, stuff happens in every game. Did you see the way that the right. Iowa State game lost? The way Iowa State lost today? Yeah. That fumble that they called Brees Hall going into the end zone. It was a touchdown. They called it a fumble, and West Virginia won. And it was just like, that's just, I mean, stuff happens. You know what I mean? Michigan right. had every opportunity, though, to win that football game. You're up 16 points in the second half. You're physically done. I mean, I thought yeah, that for, I, I'm not yeah. crying for Michigan because because I disagreed with that call. I, I think they, they had every chance to win. I, I'm just impressed with Michigan State. I, I'm just impressed with the way they kept coming back, and yeah. I, I think that's the type of team that's that, that can give. And also, just Mel Tucker's only in year three as a head coach. He has he seems to have the ability to really get his team up for the biggest games from what we've seen so far. So yeah, and it's like also the, the joke me. of of. When does it stop being a coincidence with Harbaugh? It's just like, can he just get a signature win? It's just like, they had it there. It was a rivalry game. I know it means a lot to people in Michigan. You know, they did everything that they were supposed to do this year. You know, the new staff, I think, has done a pretty good job. You have young three-star prospects coming out and turning out to be They stars. were making explosive plays, Ari. Explosive this plays. The, the, everything that you wanted exactly to see. exactly what everyone was hoping Michigan could be. And it's just like, and then here we are, you know, and it's just at a certain point. It's just like, I mean, if you sit here right now, uh, Saturday, October 30th, 2021, and you look at Jim Harbaugh's entire tenure, what was the biggest, most exciting, significant moment? Can you even think of one? Well, they beat Wisconsin this year. <laughs> which I mean, if beating might Wisconsin turn this into year, a pretty good win by the end of the season, as I know, Wisconsin but if, keeps if beating Wisconsin better. This year is the biggest win of the Harbaugh era. I know, I, I know, I, mean, I know, like, and, and oh. I think you and I agree on this. I think I, I think their their standards or their their aim should be a little higher. 
you seem to have resigned yourself to their aim is just, you know, be decent, get clobbered by Ohio State at the end of the year, and you're okay with that. I don't know that they're okay with that. Well, the, the you know, as the kids like to say, the goalposts have changed. Because if you put yourself in the timeline of Michigan fanhood, when Harbaugh took the job, it was supposed to be another 10-year war between Urban and Jim. Right. The first few years, you had really good games. That 16 game was one of the best games I've ever seen with my own eyes. You know, you thought that you were going to have two perennial playoff contenders facing off in the last game in November every year. And then when they started losing these games, after year four or five, people were upset when Jim Harbaugh wasn't winning the big game. And the thing about Michigan was, will they ever be the national championship contender that we thought that they would be during the satellite camp, sleepover, climbing trees, playing football with kids yeah. era? And then that, then what they were at 10 and 2 wasn't enough at that time. Then last year happened, and it was a complete dumpster fire. Harbaugh changes his contract, which I respect, and I I, I respect the hell out of that. I Does the too. right stuff, I, I, gets a new I staff. I don't think there's another listen, coach in America that would do that. But last year was a disaster. So he comes back, and now he has returned Michigan to what they were for the first five years. And then you and I would both agree that even if they do lose to Ohio State and finish 10-2, and two, that Harbaugh saved his job. But then he's now saved his job by doing the thing that wasn't enough three years ago. So now we're in this weird dynamic of, well, is that enough? Is 10-2 and two the thing that's going to keep Jim Harbaugh, the head coach at Michigan, for the next 10 years? Or is making the playoff the standard there? And I think I would argue that going 10-2, and two, starting off 7-0, and oh, getting your fans excited, playing close games with Michigan State, and then losing by two or three touchdowns by Ohio State is like the peak ceiling of that program which I don't think it should be, but the longer you keep, I think I think we have enough information from Jim Harbaugh and his resume to understand that his ceiling is 10-2. I don't, I don't know that I have any confidence that it's ever going to be better than that. So you have two choices. All right, have, I, want, I don't want to stop here, but I have to. Have you been watching the BYU-Virginia game? I have. It was over on that 900. BYU started this game winning 21 nothing 7 minutes into the game. It is currently 42 to 38 Virginia as the teams are walking into the locker room for halftime. Yeah, and I think Virginia just like went on a huge touchdown drive right before half with like 40 seconds left they drove the length of the field. Um, Brennan Armstrong is is has in the second quarter basically put up the numbers for an entire game. <laughs> it is incredible. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Are there other one-loss teams out there that we don't think are very good? Your favorite team today did what they always do, so they're out. Oh, that's right. Pitt is sorry uh, to, Pitt's sorry out. Sorry to break that to you. So Notre Dame is a, a one-loss team, but I, I do think they're just so, so handcuffed to Cincinnati. They can never be above Cincinnati. So 11-1, Notre Dame is not getting into the playoff. Yeah, and the problem with Notre Dame, too, is that, you know, not being in a conference, I think you have to be undefeated. But the other problem with Notre Dame, and, and maybe the Wisconsin win will turn out to be better and better as you go on. But if you look at their schedule, you got Florida State, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, USC, UNC, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Stanford. Like, if the, if half of those teams ended up being as good as we thought they were going to be, that would be one hell of a schedule. But the right. fact of the matter is, is that they've won a bunch not, of games. Yeah. 
against teams with sexy helmets that aren't very good. So I don't know if like they would have a signature win, and then you can make the case with Notre Dame that the one time they played a playoff team, they lost and they lost at home. So they're in a bad they're in a bad spot. Um, but I, I just I got one more team. There's there's one more. Who am I forgetting? Wake Forest. That's right. That's right. If Wake Forest goes thirteen and zero, wins the ACC, they're making the playoff. I'm just I'm telling you that right now. They're yeah. making the playoff if they go thirteen and zero, win the ACC. Isn't Wake Forest's um, schedule really backloaded though? Like their toughest games all come at the end at North Carolina, NC State, at Clemson, at BC. That's a tough four game mm-hmm. stretch. So if they do it and then they win the ACC championship and they win those five games, that's earning it. You know, I don't think that anybody would, I, I, even if they do that, I don't think I would think they were the four best teams, but at a certain point you go back by what somebody's earned and then they would have earned it at that point. Where would you rank them in yeah. your playoff? Would you put them at like 10? I put them at eight probably. Get an undefeated power five team. Yeah. Now they, they've had some close calls, but I don't know. It's, it's hard to. It's hard to deny that they just keep winning. Now, obviously, if they lose, they're going to plummet. But if they keep winning, you're right. They'll have earned it. Because their schedule, their strength of schedule, even if the ACC is is as down as we think it is this year, their strength of schedule will still be much better than Cincinnati's. Yeah, you know what is just kind of interesting, too? Who is the biggest Cinderella party crasher of the playoff era? Would you say Michigan State in 15? Was it Washington when they made it? It wasn't Washington because that Washington were, team was good. Like we went in there expecting them to win the Pac-12. I think it's Michigan State just because that Ohio State team coming off a national title, bringing back almost everybody, was viewed as unstoppable, and they beat them. And then, of course, the Cinderella story ends with Michigan State getting its doors blown off by Alabama in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. It would be really cool if one year we got a legitimate college football Cinderella. It's never happened. Well, we're I think gonna like get Wake that Forest when the playoff be, expands. And no, I know, but in four, so, it's different. It's different with yeah. Four. So Greg Sankey, by the way, did what I thought he was gonna do and poured cold water all over this eight eight team talk. The SEC is either their their whole thing is stay at four or go to twelve. We know that's how Notre Dame feels. We know that's how all the group of five conferences feel so really it comes down to the members of the alliance and and what they want to do if you're and in the big 12 obviously if you are the big 12 i think you want it bigger you want it as big as possible if you're the pac-12 you should want it bigger the big 10 you don't necessarily want it bigger but you probably should because they're going to be years where you can get three four teams in and the ACC, <laughs> eight would be perfect for the ACC. Like, they'd love to just get their champ in every year. There aren't, they're not going to be a lot of years where they'd get another one in. Although, let's say Florida State got back to being Florida State. Maybe they could. Let's say Miami suddenly got great. They could. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it matters because it's one of those things where it has to be unanimous, but if... The MAC says they don't want to do it. No one cares what the MAC thinks. If the SEC says they don't want to do it, you can't have a playoff without the SEC. So you're, you're, it's going to be four or twelve. So it's going to be twelve. Andy, I think we we forgot another team. Who do we forget? Baylor. Okay. 
No, I think, okay, that, that's a good point, because if Baylor wins out, which would probably mean beating Oklahoma twice, then I think Baylor would, would, would have a good shot at being in there. The, their loss is at Oklahoma State, which, you know, I think by the end of the season, Oklahoma State's going to have a real nice record. That's not going to be a, it's not going to be a disqualifying loss. So I think you may be right about that. I mean, I think that they're a team that controls their own destiny. And that's all that you have to be to be in the conversation. I don't. I think it would be bad if we didn't mention them. No, I'm. I'm glad you did. I agree. I, I think. I think Baylor. Dave Aranda's done an, an incredible job this year. Jeff Grimes is is one of the best coordinator hires of the off season. Uh, we, we don't know what they're going to be, and and we'll find out. We'll find out when they play Oklahoma on November 13th. Now. They, they may end up playing them again, even if they lose to them. But it'll be interesting. Now, they've got TCU in free fall next. Can we migrate out of the playoff discussion and into, into maybe some coaching carousel discussion, Ari? Sure, absolutely. Now, we a lot of us chatted about this internally this week at The Athletic, and, and we brought this up on the podcast several times, especially me when Max Olson's here, because I keep asking – is, is Gary Patterson done at TCU? And I always present that with the caveat of Gary Patterson will, will get a chance to decide if he's done at TCU because it's really hard for them to fire him given everything he's done for the program. But at this point, I think it's probably time for them to begin. I'm, I think they probably already started trying to convince Gary Patterson that it's time to hang it up, take like an, a special assistant to the president job and just ride out in the sunset because it's not going to get any better for them. You know, it's, I wrote their state of the program this year and I think he's just like a very interesting dude. And I don't know if it, how many state of the programs did you do? I did four of the four that you did. How many of the teams did you go in not knowing much about? Did you leave believing could be pretty good? None. Now, I had some teams that I thought were going to be like Liberty. I thought was going to have a good record this year. They've actually wound up being worse than I thought they would be because they lost Syracuse. Florida State, I didn't think was going to be very good. Uh, Maybe I only did three. Mississippi State, I, I thought was going to be better but it was going to be hard to figure out where the wins would come from. And that's kind of what's happened because they've got two great wins. Three, if you count NC state, but they've beaten Texas A&M and they've beaten Kentucky. Now Uh, they are, they are clearly a much better team than they were last year. And they're still going to have to fight like hell to make a bowl game. Yeah. I, maybe I'm just susceptible to getting macked. I don't know. You got garyed. I don't know if I got garyed. I didn't get garyed. It was he was awesome to talk to. I enjoyed my t- my hour with him. But he's very he, he's very he, entertaining to talk to. But here's the thing: go ask to talk to one of his assistants. Go ask to talk to one of his best players. You won't get to. No, I understand. Yeah, it and, was, and that was one of the issues that popped up this week. Where you know the, the the thought is you know, and I would use this against him in recruiting. Like if I'm Dave Aranda or if I'm. Uh, whoever gets the Texas Tech job, I go great. You you, you want to go to TCU? Okay, they'll never let you talk to. They'll never let you do an interview, even if you're the best player on the team. And if you want nil deals, well, they're going to hide you as much as possible. Yeah, and we're not. 
We're well, going it's going to be present a, you in the best possible light. It's super interesting because it's kind of maybe inside baseball. But before I move on to what I'm going to say next, I wanted to say that looking at TCU's roster, what they had coming back, Zach Evans, a quarterback that, you know, I thought Duggan was going to be pretty good. Like they have guys. I thought in yeah. the in the Big 12 that they could have had a chance to compete for the Big 12 championship game, especially considering the fact that they've always traditionally played Texas very tough. And they did again this year. Um, but they the, the bottom's fallen out. But the thing I wanted to say about the NIL stuff is, and again, kind of inside baseball, but college f- football media access is not like the NFL. And I don't know if people realize this, in the NFL, you can go into a locker room and talk to anybody. In the college, you're well, not, not right now, but not yes, right once, now. Once the yes. COVID restrictions lift, yeah. yes, COVID be damned. In college, you are very much subject to what the NI or sorry, the SID and the head coach will allow you to do. And usually, and in, the head coach, yeah, and yeah. the head coach is usually the one telling the SID how it's going to go. In a world where players now can profit greatly from their name, image, and likeness, I think media availability and av- and the potential to show off your personality and to be somebody that the fans know is extremely valuable from a monetary standpoint. And I'm very right. curious to see as this continues to evolve and these players start to cash in on deals and, and make some money, rightfully so, in the way that they're able to, how that's going to evolve in terms of who's talking to the media and these rules like Oklahoma, for instance, does has a no freshman talk. I don't think Caleb Williams has spoken to the media yet. Right. And it's just like how much money and you can just say, well, he's gonna be the star of Oklahoma next year. He'll get his money. I don't think that's necessarily costing you money because I think if you're at a program where you win most of the time, like that, that stuff's going to come. Well, to you just anyway. an example that came up in my head. How many other yeah, the, freshmen the, around the, the country? The issue is when you're at a program, and and like Gary Patterson, that style is fine if you are winning most of the time. If you're winning 10, 11 games a year, you can manage the program pretty much however you want. Nobody's going to say boo to you. But if you're going to be bad, well, yeah, every little thing you do is going to get criticized. And I, I but think what if it's, Caleb it's Williams is the funniest that. guy you've ever met? He's like the coolest, well, funniest guy. You've never. Caleb Williams is already getting NIL deals because he's the quarterback at Oklahoma. But their fans don't know his personality. And I think that matters to some extent. Oh, I I, I think it can go into the stratosphere if you're a really good player with a great personality. But like at TCU, they're not necessarily looking to TCU for guys. So you've got to find a way to stand out to promote it. And like Zach Evans has talked once this year. So. I don't blame Zach Evans if he's mad about that. And the thing about Gary is if you're winning 10, 11 games, you, you can do that. You can not make your assistance available. You can like Nick Saban doesn't make his assistance available. You know what? Nick Saban wins every game pretty much. So he can do whatever he wants. Gary's not winning enough to do whatever he wants. And he's got a staff that it's, you know, all his guys, they, they really haven't evolved much at all. And, they're in a situation where they're they're going to be a bottom tier Big Twelve team every single year unless something changes, and so they have to decide if that's what they want to do or not. Yeah, and it's always tricky too when you get into a situation where you're dealing with legendary coach who's been there forever and transformed the program, who, right? Who has made you who you so are so much more than what you were, and and that's I mean that's the thing. 
I still have a really hard time believing that Jeremiah Donati, the, the AD there, could could go say, Gary Patterson, we're not bringing you back next year. Like, I just don't see that. I, I feel like it has to be something mutual or or it's, you know, Gary just coaches some more. And, and because he's earned the right to go out on his terms. But the problem is, how much longer, if you're in charge of TCU, can you let him keep going? Yeah, and if you're Gary, he's a very eccentric person. He's, he likes scuba diving and making songs and doing things that you know has other interests. So maybe it'll be easier to convince him if and when that time comes. But looking at the that roster that they come, had back, Marty. the time has come. Looking at the roster that they had back and the guys they have, you know, losing to SMU, Texas, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Kansas State is just not what I thought this team was going to be this year. And the fact of the matter is, is they still have to play Baylor at Oklahoma State and at at Iowa State. I mean, this team could lose eight games this year. And if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that they were going to lose eight, I would have bet anything that that wouldn't happen. No, it's it's gotten bad. And now – You've already brought up the when does it stop being a coincidence? I'm happy that that's become a mantra on this on this podcast and warms my well, heart. Well, it should. It's I I, I think it, it works very well, and we we gotta we gotta hit it again because the original discussion was about Nebraska when that came up a couple weeks ago. Nebraska lost to Purdue. I realized they had an onside kick there at the end, and we're still in it. You can talk about the close losses all you want, but Ari, this team has lost to Illinois. This team has lost to Minnesota. This team has lost to Purdue. This team does not look capable of making a bowl game. At what point does it stop being an effing coincidence? Uh, a month ago. So what do you what do you do if you are a new Nebraska AD Trev Alberts? How do you handle this situation? I mean, maybe not a month ago. When they a month ago they beat Northwestern by a hundred. 52 to 7. Then they played Michigan very closely the following week. And they played Minnesota pretty closely. It was a terrible loss at that time, but Minnesota's actually sneaky kind of good. Um Minnesota's won four in a row and they're six and two. I have no idea how that team lost to bowling green, but alas, it's college football. But if, if, uh, unless, if Minnesota unless Iowa slide continues unabated. And they're just terrible by the time they play Nebraska. Nebraska's going to go three and nine. Yeah. Yeah. Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa is their last three. That's uh, that's not a good way to close out the year. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just don't know. What do you do? How much do you? How quickly can you give up on the savior of your program? Well, he's not. You know, we already know that. Well, I mean, Michigan's There's having a, a really hard time giving up on their savior. Yeah, because because he's seven savior. and one right now. No, I know he's but seven and one. Wasn't last year. I mean, yeah, he coached a team that gave up on him really, last year. Truly awful year, though. No, I know. I'm just like, I'm using Michigan Nebraska's as an never example. Never even been good under Frost. I'm using Michigan as an example because the thought and the connection that you have to a coach who has ties or as an alum of the university that he's coming to save, there's an emotional connection there, not just from the fans, but from, you know, and I I get it's a new AD, but it's a little bit different to move on from somebody like that 
than it would be if he never went to Nebraska and he wasn't viewed the way that he was when he got hired. So like to me, I think that being that person, if you remember how Nebraska felt when they hired Frost, buys you an extra year than he would have if he was just another hire. Like he would have been fired. This is the extra year, Ari. Yeah, I know. We're in I mean, the extra year. I mean, is he going to get fired? It, we fired him week one. Yeah, we rehired him. We we got we got dude we, yeah. we got roped in too when they were when they played Michigan close when they played Oklahoma close. Yeah, but the standard that what if became Caleb Williams had been starting for Oklahoma when they played. Yeah. How would we I mean, look at that game? It's it's like funny though the standard at Nebraska turned into oh my god they have a pulse. Well, and and that's the problem. They <laughs> they need to they need to decide what they want to be, and they need to to work to correct it. But this is going to be a pretty pretty active coaching carousel. There's going to be a lot of people on the move. They just have to decide if they want to take part in it. I I just there's nothing at this point that convinces you anything will be any better. Nothing. I'm out. I told you I was out two weeks ago. Now, there's another place where the fans are are pretty much out on the guy, but I think he's I still think he's perfectly safe unless something crazy happens in the last four weeks of the season. So we talked about Georgia in in relation to the cocktail party. Dan Mullen started Anthony Richardson, which is what all the fans wanted, which is what I said he should do, which is what a lot of people said he should do. It was not good. Richardson had a horrible game, uh, threw a couple bad interceptions, had a fumble in the red that gave Georgia the but ball does, in the red does zone. Does Richardson being not that good in the game help you give Mullen a second wind? Like I almost like vindicated him. It does somewhat, but there's also the the level of frustration where the the fans are going to go, yeah, but if you'd started Emory, it would have been just as bad. Yeah. The loss would have been just as bad. Also, they played Georgia, so I don't know if putting that on Richardson is fair, like for his right. coming out party, you know, but, but it's not like he here, came now, out and saved Florida. Here's who you might be able to put it on, and this is where the fans are going to try to put it on Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen got asked after the game, about the talent level between Florida and Georgia. And he said, well, we were more talented last year. We won the game and, and they were more talented this year. And then he, he turned the question back on the reporter and said, well, what do you think about it? And the reporter was like, do you really want me to answer that? And then it's all the, the conversation sort of died on the vine. I don't know who asked Kirby smart this. I sense it was probably someone who covers Florida. Maybe I'm wrong to get this very quote from Kirby smart that Florida fans will be throwing back in Dan Mullen's face for the next however many months. And Ari, this is basically your 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 mission statement. Tattoo it. That Kirby me. Smart is saying, and the next time we lose a bet, or the next time you lose a bet, I think you're going to have to get it tattooed in its entirety on your left butt cheek. So what about on my is, chest by my heart? That Maybe that's better. I, I just was going for, you know, there's the butt cheek gives you room, and, you know, uh, this, this is probably going to have to be in cursive. I'm just saying, here we go. Where does that sort of mindset to always sort of be recruiting come from? And why do you think you have so much success with it? Uh, you have to. I mean, guys, if you don't recruit, there's no coach out there that can out coach recruiting. Okay. I, I don't care who you are. The best coach to ever play the game better be a good recruiter because no coaching is going to out 
coach players. I mean, anybody will tell you our defense is good because we got good players. So spending time on the phone, you know, spending time with people at your house, spending time with people when they come to your campus. You know, I, I'm not with my family when I'm doing that. My family sacrifices so that I can go and spend time with other people's families so that we have good players. So, you know, that's 25% evaluation. That's 50% recruiting. And another 25% is going to be coaching. But if you don't recruit, guys, you got no chance. Just go look. Look at the best teams out there. They got good football players. And that's the reason I believe in recruiting. And I believe you better always be recruiting. Always be recruiting. Because if you're not, somebody else is. I'm pretty sure that is a direct subtweet to Dan Mullen right there. Andy, I think I said that quote verbatim on this podcast 9.1 million times. I think you're right. I think you're right. And look, I I did a column on on Florida going into the the Georgia game last week and and kind of took a page from your book. I looked at the talent composite on 24/7 and one, you know, was number two. Georgia's number two. Florida's number seven. You're like, okay, number two and number seven. But then I started doing the math on it. The the cumulative distance in terms of of where guys were ranked between Florida and Georgia is basically the same cumulative dif- distance between Michigan and Ohio State. And we all we all know how that game usually turns out. I'm gonna say something, and I'm not sure I should say it, but I'm gonna say it because it's a podcast and it's fun. Okay. My entire mantra at The Athletic and as a national reporter that is making his way past a beat reporter is Stars Matter. I write about recruiting incessantly. I talk about it incessantly. Maybe even some people are annoyed by it. But I have somehow manifested a brand saying something that is so uh, incredibly obvious. I almost feel like a con man. But you're not because people want to believe in their heart of hearts that if you're gritty enough and you work hard enough, you can overcome a lack of God-given talent. And I am here to tell you as a former SEC team walk-on that you're not. You're just not. Do people think that that Kirby Smart quote is insightful? No. What I think that people think about that Kirby Smart quote is Florida fans want it, want someone to say that, want someone in his position to say that so that they can throw it at their coach when they're mad at him. If you're and a head really coach at, him right now. at Florida or you're a head coach at Northwestern or Baylor or Oregon State or Ohio State or any other place and you don't understand that, you're not doing your job. But the the difference in caliber of player that you need to be able to bring in to be successful at Baylor and at Northwestern is different than the caliber of player that you Absolutely. need to be, be able to but bring it's still in at true. Florida. It is true. But here's the thing. You've got a coach who was very successful at a different SEC institution that plays at a relatively different level. Yeah, and I the think the question that, was, yeah, can he recruit 
at the level required to be successful to meet the standard at Florida. Which is what makes the coaching discussion so interesting because I think that overachieving at a middle-tier program with fewer, far fewer expectations than a national powerhouse is a different job than coaching a national powerhouse. There you go. That's what I was hoping you'd get to. That's that's yeah. what I was hoping you'd say. You're exactly right. And here's the problem. Which is why I don't this think I'd want to hand Mark Stoops the LSU job. Right. And this is not a shot at Dan Mullen, nor is it a shot at Mark Stoops. You just don't know when the, like, of course you're going to try to hire somebody from, from that spot because they have shown that they know how to win football games. They know how to organize a program. Uh, they know how to evaluate talent. They know how to scheme it up. The thing you don't know is can they recruit at the highest level? And you don't know until they have to try to do that. And then once they try to do it, you know, but unfortunately, if it turns out they can't, you're stuck with them. Well, this is why building or coaching hires is such an impossible thing to do. And I feel, you know, that's why they pay millions and millions of dollars for search firms that don't even know what they're doing. And because it's just like because you built a middle tier program into a moderately more successful program than it was before doesn't make you qualified to coach at Florida. You right, just but have, you but, but it's but, also but, the but prereq who, that you need to get qualified. hired. Like think, think back to who they interviewed. They, they, they offered the job to chip Kelly. He took UCLA. They talked to Scott Frost and, and I think both parties mutually agreed that they, that they didn't want each other. And then they hired Dan Mullen. All of those three would have been considered home runs the moment they were hired. I think of the three, they certainly hired the right one because I think Dan Mullen would have been the most, certainly would have been the most successful of those three at Florida and, and has been successful at Florida generally. And Mullen has urban ties, so I understand that too. Right. But, but that's the thing. Chip Kelly would have failed miserably at Florida. Scott Frost would have failed miserably at Florida. But at the time, everybody was like, you got to hire that guy. And listen, I'm guilty of it too. So let me I ask you Scott this. I thought Scott Frost would be a home run anywhere. This is interesting to me. So I covered Jeff Halfley at Ohio State my last year on the ah, beat. He's, he's the next one that everybody thinks is a, is a slam dunk. But Jeff Halfley, though he's recruiting at Boston College at a higher level than Boston College has typically recruited, he is a handsome smooth, personable dude that can get you to believe in him in five minutes. And sometimes I wonder if personality and the ability to publicly and outwardly express the importance of recruiting at the highest level is almost more important than showing that you could build a middle tier program when you're putting somebody in that position. Because a lot of times, Andy, these programs that we're talking about, the Alabamas, the, the, the Floridas, the, the, the top 10, LSU, these USC. places for the most part can recruit on autopilot. Like Florida could hire anybody and they could recruit a top 15 class every year. What you need to They're do not, is you they need don't to have find, one this year currently in 2022. Yeah, sure, yeah. I don't know what's going on there, but if you hire somebody with the right personality who gets it, I almost feel like that's more important than years of doing really well at Mississippi state. And I feel like you have to just find somebody that will embrace it. And it's like, I'm sitting here right now as we speak, watching Washington 
And I'll throw Jimmy Lake's butt on the hot seat right now. Absolutely. You're talking about a guy who got hired because of his recruiting prowess. Quote, unquote, recruiting prowess. Right. And and the thought was when Jimmy Lake got hired, and he kind of said this, is I'm going to go get, like, I understand the OKG concept, but I'm going to go get us some stars, too. It hasn't really Did you hear his, uh, his quote on National Signing Day last year? No. Um, I'm going to try to find it because I wrote a column about it. Um, he basically said, we like our classes at Washington. The NFL tells us that we do a great job developing players. That's more important than anything that you can see on 247. Here's what it says. And this is from my story. I got an awesome text this morning from one of the GMs of the 32 teams, Lake said. He said, well, coach, you guys did it again. You have a bunch of guys that are about to get their names called early in the draft. Congratulations. You guys do it the right way. I just love when I see stuff like that. When you guys write um, our story about whatever signing class we sign in December, it's going to be awesome. We'll probably be like 15th place in the Pac-12 or something like that. We'll be dead last, and then we'll probably have half the guys get drafted and get developed and play a long time in the NFL. So I take pride in that, and our staff takes pride in that. That is the quote of a failure. Because that is a quote of somebody who dismisses the importance of accumulating stars and and. And I don't mean stars like on paper and recruiting profiles. I mean like legitimate high school stars, like three five-star prospects in Seattle area and only landing one. And then to right. ad- and then to and then to phrase it that way, as if the way you're doing it is working, and then to come out and put this clown show of a football team on the field when you're hired to recruit is a disconnect so abundantly clear to me that I would move on immediately. If I were the athletic director and I read that stuff, I would be personally offended by that. The problem is most athletic directors aren't personally offended by that. They're like, all right, we're going to do it the right way. That's not the right no. way. You're losing. <laughs> the right way is get as many good players as you can and try to develop them as best you can. And no, it, they, they don't do it the right way there. They, do, they did develop really well under Chris Peterson. But you know who does it the right way? Nick Saban does it the right way. Yeah, and guess what? Nick Saban develops players. Right. You know what the right way at Dabble Washington Sweeney is? develops players. The Ohio right way State at Washington through Urban Meyer all, and Ryan Day develop players. The right way at Washington would have been to sign all three of the top five or the top 15 national prospects in the Seattle last year and develop them. Because as oh. you know, you can develop players that don't have the God-given talent, as you put it. And even if they are developed and they turn into NFL players or middle-round players, there is a lack of dynamic talent that you need to compete at the highest level. And we're talking about a team that made the playoff once in a conference that's very winnable and a coach that was hired because he was a very good recruiter and to sit. I, I thought that was just a slap in the face of the fans, in my opinion. Well, and that's everybody's criticizing Mario Cristobal for his game management, but I'll take his weaknesses and his strengths over the reverse of it. You, because it's like, a, it's like a, a recipe, Andy, Talent isn't the thing that you only need to win a national championship. And, but it's the dough of the pizza. You might not make a good pizza if you have great dough, but if you don't have great dough, you don't have a shot. And in college football, you're right. Yeah. You're guaranteed to not make a good pizza in college football. If you don't have the talent, you don't have a shot. 
Now, in college football, if you get the talent, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done after you acquire that talent. But it's an, an ingredient that can't be done without. And there are too many Speaking coaches making $5 million dollars a year who don't understand that. Speaking of Mario Cristobal, by the way, Oregon finally torched somebody they were supposed to. I was a little worried about that when, when Colorado got it to 28-14, but then Oregon took off again. So, uh, listen, that's what they should do. We're not going to pat them too hard on the back. for This is sort of like when when I'd make good grades and I'd go to my parents and, and be like, well, so-and-so gets $5 for every A. And my, my parents were like, it's your job to get A's. We're going to get mad if you get You know what I used to do like, when, when I was a kid? That, that's what Oregon is right now. When I was a kid, and I, w- I never got into any serious trouble, but like I had a speeding ticket problem, as you know, from the when does it stop being a coincidence thing. Mm-hmm. And my parents used to get mad at me for doing bonehead teenager things. And whenever they would get super mad at me, I'd be like, well, it's not like I'm out selling drugs or I'm not <laughs> getting arrested. Cut me some slack. And like I wanted credit for not doing terrible things. Yeah, you wanted credit for being a baseline, decent human being. Yes. And my parents would just be like, you think that we should pat you on the back because you don't sell drugs? (laughs) Right. Right. And And that's the thing. The standards are higher at certain places. Places that aspire to national championships, be they Georgia, be they Florida, be they USC, be they Oregon, be they Oklahoma, be they LSU, you have to bring in the best players because if you don't, then you won't have any chance to compete for national championships and you will not be doing your job. And that is, that is the crux of the matter. And so that Kirby smart quote is going to get thrown around an awful lot between now and national signing day guaranteed. And it should, it should, we will see what happens. This, this was a, this was a really fun week, Ari. I, Michigan, Michigan State was awesome. Uh, Notre Dame, North Carolina was was a pretty good back and forth. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State was exciting. Texas Baylor was fun to watch. You know, we 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 haven't even talked about your your being out on the horns, but you're you're done. They're dead to you. So Call we understand. That. Yeah, Texas's <laughs> uh, loss today, uh, Saturday to Baylor, was like every other Big Twelve loss. In command of the game, feel like you're going to win. Other team just nuts up and wins. It's like a close game. They're down by seven in the fourth quarter with the ball. They don't get it done. Rinse, repeat. Same movie, same thing. I'm I'm done. Until until they do it, I'm done. Well, you're going to be done for a little while, I think, because they, they, <laughs> they really have sort of established a pattern. Like, they just completely shut it down in the second half, and... I don't know. Like I always, well, not always, but like I've been saying for the last, I feel like four or five years, maybe it's not the person, maybe it's the place. I don't know. Cause I, I, I've, I'm finding that I have no other way to come around to it. That's the way you explain it to me. So, yeah. So Ari, we gave out our top whatevers. I'm sure everybody's going to take issue with that. I'm sure. All of those people, if we turned the question around on them and they had to put out their top whatever, we would take issue with it. The actual committee's meeting right now. They will reveal their rankings on Tuesday. We'll have a show immediately after that. And it's going to be, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if I'll be able to criticize anything at all because I just sat here and said, 
I can't tell you how to separate two through seven. But we'll find out. And I'm just glad there are this many teams in the mix because it feels a little different. It feels a little more robust. And I'll take it. Talk to you on Tuesday night.